this is Jay Danner. I'm an ensemble member of the Village Repertory Company, and I'll be your host once again for this episode of Village Idiocy, Conversations from the Wolf Street Playhouse. In this episode, I'm excited. We're going to be talking about Junk by Ayat Akhtar. We'll be joined by Keely Enright, the director, and two actors from the show, Sierra Garland and Robbie Thomas. The show will open Friday, January 24th, and run through February 8th. So hi, everybody. We're here talking with, um, let's go around the room. Let's start with you, Keely. Keely oh, yeah, Enright, the director <laughs> of this production. Hi, I'm Robbie Thomas, and I am playing Bob Merkin in this production. <laughs> Hi, I'm Sierra Garland, and I'm playing Amy Merkin in this production. And Jay, do you want to tell us what this production is? I did in the introduction. You want to Oh, hear damn. <laughs> <laughs> did I ruin it? Do we have to do that again? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you're good. Do we? No, no we're good. It's fine. So, Keely, we were... I always say that we were talking before we started recording, and then I go, we should have recorded all of that. So <laughs> so tell me and the people who are listening why you chose this play for your for this season. And what, you know, it sort of reminds me of some of the other sort of themes of shows that I've seen at the Playhouse. One that comes to mind is um, Blood and Gifts. Yes. Like it sort of had that kind of feel to it, which I love. So what, what appealed to you? Um, yeah, I agree with you. I thought it, uh, when I read it, it felt very much like Blood and Gifts, which was a show we did a few seasons back uh, about the, the secret Afghan war in the 1980s. The sort of things that go on behind the scenes yeah. that you aren't, and it's that you just maybe you don't remember, you don't or some of us weren't old enough to be paying attention, or <laughs> what, whatever. But um, I loved that play, and I loved the way it was written, and it's a different playwright, but it, Junk did strike me uh it reminded me of it and I, i'm kind of a history nerd you know so whenever i can marry anything historical that i find interesting that's been put into a, a stage play that is fascinating and fast-paced um and that i come away having learned something uh, that's definitely the sort of play that i want to do um again with um this uh junk takes place in the 1980s 1985 to be exact and it is a fictional account of history. So um, this is all about the junk bonds kings of, of this particular era and how they rewrote um, the financial world um, in this particular time. So some people will remember Michael Milken. Um, our play has a character very much based on Michael Milken, um, Robert Merkin, played by Robbie Thomas. And um, so... Um, Mr. Akhtar has taken the timeline, the story, the premise, and built this historical fiction um, based about on that. About a takeover of a company. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is it, a, do you th is it a specific company, or is it maybe just um, sort of Well, a, I, you know, that I, this particular story is, um, they're in the midst of many, many buyouts and many takeovers, uh, but it's sort of how debt became an asset. And how, which is hard um, to wrap your mind it, it around. Is. It is. That's why I'm like, I'm not going to take the time to try to explain it to you here. It's really well done in the play that sort of explains the thinking, the philosophy, and how this changed the game. So you sort of have the old guard, um, the old world, the old finance, and the old industrialists, um, if we can call it from the 80s, the old world, mm -hmm. um, coming up <laughs> against these new, this new breed, this new young 
um, mindset and they're rapidly changing uh, the world. And so our characters get caught up in the old guard gets caught up in not expecting it, not seeing it coming. Um, while the new guard led by the Robert Merkin character sort of pushes forward. Um, the thing that's great about it, even though it does take place in 1985 is it's really contemporary. Um, while in some regards it's a period piece, that's not really that important other than, you know, the time that you're in. Right. Um, you just, they're not talking on cell phones, but other than right. that, you feel like it's pretty, it, it, it's very contemporary. Yeah. And that's that he's done a brilliant job of making you feel it as you as though you're right in it. And what's tragic, or I don't know if there, it, it seems tragic. There is a is, tragic. Yeah, there is a tragic element to it, but the tragedy is that it feels contemporary because so much of what was started in that time, we deal with it in, in our everyday lives. Um, did we learn the lesson? Like, is there a lesson here and did we learn it? Is there a lesson here? Uh, you know, if, if you're familiar with the movie um, Wall Street, the Michael Douglas, Charlie Sheen film. Um, you, there's obviously, you know, greed is good was one of the, the big phrases of that. Mm -hmm. In in this play, it's more like greed is God. Um, when yeah. did money become the thing that was more important than anything else? That is a question that is asked. Um, maybe it was maybe it was this particular time. Uh, but you do have the ramifications of of how money seems to be. The, the only thing the that only values thing. the only thing that, um so yeah. it, the play resonates on many levels it does play sort of like um, a financial thriller you will move quickly it feels like a movie again as we talked about like blood and gifts which Moves also felt quickly. like a movie many many characters many small scenes you go from here to there to here to back there um it takes place on two coasts it really on many levels um it's sort of old guard versus new guard it's also east coast versus west coast mm -hmm. so you we move from california back to new york um and and to the everson steel is the company that is sort of uh in play during our play and that that's a a big steel company in pennsylvania so we're sort of sometimes there uh and it's also a play about what does america look like and that's a, a crucial um component of the play in that the old guard, the very white establishment, um, industrialists, and the what a what hundred years of American industrial society look like, led by powerful old white men, and how the game starts changing, and how the faces are not all white men. Um, and is that good? Is that not good? Is that scary? Is that spooky? Um, is is the racism uh, a large theme in our play? Yes. Um, what America looks like, what it should look like, what it shouldn't look like. Uh, who gets to have a seat at the table? Who doesn't? So there's a lot of themes yeah. running through. I thought play. that um, one thing I learned, or I, I didn't understand how someone in this market and the um, stock market could take a look at a company, the Emerson, Emerson Steel, Emerson Steel, and decide, oh, this is a company that we can just take over, and so we'll do these sort of things that feel to me, you know, dishonest. Like we're gonna, we're going to, and and it's legal. Like you can come in and go, well, we want to buy your company, so we're just gonna lower your stock value and buy all that up. Yeah. With, yeah, and for and the put most you part, you in debt. So that you have to sell it to us. Gosh, it just seems so. Yeah, it's it's a immoral. pretty. It's it's uh, it's interesting. Um, Sierra plays the wife of Robert Merkin, and um, 
her character is really interesting, I think, because she wants Robert to play by the rules, the rules that are in play. She is not making moral judgments on those rules. She wants him to play by the rules. She doesn't want him to lie or do anything that it would be considered unethical by the But rules. she has no problem with them buying up the company, you know, devaluing the stock. She has no moral compunction about... Hundreds of people will lose their jobs. That's fine. I mean, and I'll let Sierra because she's law. she's right here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not used to being able to talk on mic. <laughs> Jump she's in, Sierra. Silently yeah. yeah, she's obviously okay with what he's doing. It it um, she also is a financier. She's very familiar with the world that he works in. But other characters in the play refer to it as legal crime, and I think she's totally fine with all of that. It's only when he starts putting them at risk as a family and risking their lives together with actual illegal crime that it becomes obviously a serious problem for her. And she sees it coming much sooner than he does, I think. But You warn him that first scene when you're in bed with the baby Mm -hmm. without giving too much away. Mm -hmm. You know, we know that he's keeping something from you and you suspect perhaps that he's maybe still dealing with this shady character. Right. Is that who you're trying to get him to not do business with this one character, well, Pronsky? Well, I think for yeah. for uh, Pronsky, but Pronsky. Uh, but for Amy, again, she 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 wants him to play by the legal. the The game is stacked in a certain way, and it might not be morally okay at all. But that is not where she has issue. She just wants him to play by the rules. She doesn't have an agenda about the morality of breaking up these companies. Um, she has, in fact, she has many good arguments as to why what they're doing is is perfectly fine, yeah. as long as you play by the rules, the legal rules of the game. Yeah. I mean, she's a bit of a pragmatist in that she doesn't justify it as if it didn't have a justification, but she does say, you're not getting rid of these jobs. They're dying. Mm-hmm. You're just helping them along in the process. So it's not that you're coming in and kicking out these people that have been secure in these jobs and they're forever going to be in these jobs. It's that you're, you are bringing the inevitable. There's a weakness there and you see, see it and you have the vision and the ability to do what would inevitably happen. So, so I think that he does a, the, um, the playwright does a great job of not putting a heavy hand on the scale one way or another as far as whether or not the ar- argument that Amy makes it, it, it is valid. There are other things that happen because of what they do that you could blame them for or not. And again, you come see the play and you can make those decisions. But he doesn't make a moral choice. He's not giving, he's, he, he's giving you the play and asking you to make, um, make, a, make that call which I think is what's so brilliant about the play. Robert is not a villain in our play. And we can ask Robbie what he thinks of Robert. I was getting through the play and getting to the end of the play and was, you know, sort of just as someone who reads a lot of plays, looking for some scene, something that you say, maybe with your wife or another character that helps me understand what motivates you to be this way. Mm. And I never could quite get my hand or like wrap my brain around it or get a clear vision of like what motivates you to be this sort of, um, I don't know, uh, ruthless. 
And so, so what do you think? Yeah, I think Bob uh, is motivated a lot by his past. He he talks about his father um, a lot. Uh, he he's a Jewish character. He in 1985, when his father was coming up, anti-Semitism was rampant. It's still not great in New York in 1985, but right. when his father was coming up, it was completely all over the place. Um, he talks about how his father couldn't get a job at any of these accounting firms. Um, the, these high, he keeps calling them white shoe accounting firms, these these high quality, you know, top of the line accounting firms, even though his father was incredible with numbers, like knew his accounting, graduated top of his class, all of that. So I think there is part... Closed to anyone who wasn't a wasp or, you know, mm-hmm. white society. Right, exactly. Um so I think there's a lot of, of history there that's, you know, and, and bitterness at how his father was treated that, that is motivating Bob to be better. Um, at one point he talks about, you know, he, he says, I'm not Jewish, I'm better. He's basically saying, don't, don't define me by my race, by my religion. Don't define me by, you know, I- I- anything that I came out of the womb with, basically. Define me by my acts. Define me by what I've done. And so he's very much attempting to make his life, and he's done a pretty good job of it, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and d- define me by what I do, not what I am. So I think that's his biggest motivation. I think his motivation gets cloudy, you know, throughout the play. It, it, th- there is a sense of greed. He does have greed. He wants more. He wants to be the best. He does not want to appear greedy though uh there that's a lot of his back and forth with amy his wife um you know she keeps saying these things you're doing aren't illegal granted she doesn't know what he is doing that is illegal but his his biggest thing is how does that make me look you know how are they going to write this in the press he wants he he wants everything but he wants it to look like he's earned everything he doesn't want it to look like you know he's just taking power for power's sake it's and it's not deserved you know just inherently it's because of what he's done because he he wants to be the best he has he's definitely a perfectionist he's got a um you know just a yearning to be better constantly be better and there's a certain addiction to you know we were talking about it in rehearsal of to the aspiration Mm. there's an addiction to that so how much money is enough money well, if you're just aspiring to the to that one thing, it was like we were saying a minute the, ago that the the, ver- the virtue around. of money then becomes the only virtue. Then that is what you're constantly aspiring to get more of. Right, that, it's measurable. Yeah, and he's kind of down a rabbit hole, which I don't think that the that the American character is the only one in this play or in many circumstances. When you have a conversation about how much is enough, there's not there's never going to be yeah. enough for Merkin. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, and yeah, you did. It's not going to be enough. It is uh, m- money is the one measurable thing that he can he can take here. So uh, you know how how do you measure a person's worth? I mean, there's a lot of ways you can do it, but most of them aren't tangible. At least you know the amount of money he's got in his wallet that's tangible. Right. So he can prove his worth with the money. But don't you think so many people with now billions of dollars who it isn't about, you know, they're sitting on a pile of money they'll never spend in their lifetime, but they can't 
find anything else aspirational to do with their life i mean i don't know it's so yeah yeah i, I agree with you i you know i mean you've got <laughs> bezos and bill gates uh-huh. and they're all yeah. just constantly wanting more and more and more i mean jeff bezos has come out of nowhere in the past decade and now he's the richest man in the world yeah. right but he's not slowing down he's continuing um and a lot of those billionaires that we see nowadays will will make a big show out of well look at the philanthropy i'm doing like mm-hmm. i need this money michael milken the guy that uh bob's based on that yeah. you guys were talking about was he's obviously he went to jail he's he can't you know trade securities or anything anymore but now he's a huge philanthropist and it's because we want I mean, I think it's a human thing. Some of us are more greedy about it than others, but the, he, he wants that praise, that look at what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so regardless of the amount of money, you know, that is just a measurable thing. It's it's never going to be enough. Yeah, I think that, that the brilliance of this play is if this play had been written, like, I don't know, 10 years, 1995 even, um, you could say all these same things and it wouldn't resonate with people. You mm-hmm. now... And every night in rehearsal, you just get hit by how all the things that are talked about in the play are so true. They're so real. This, you know, I think in '95 we'd have rolled our eyes at the at the at the kind of money that Merkin is aspiring to, and that's our life now. Yeah. I mean, it it really is. Um, I, I don't I don't know it's not depressing I don't know what it is it's just it's just every night that we're in rehearsal it reminds me of how contemporary this play is mm-hmm. that's why history is so fascinating because you do see something from so far away and in our perspective you see it coming right at you and that's sort of what this play does so well it just keeps bringing 1985 right up to us yeah and I do appreciate the fact that it's set in 1985. You're right. It could be it, it could be set today, and you really wouldn't have to change all that much, nope. right? So, um, but the the beauty of what Actar, the playwright's done about setting it in 1985 is we can throw around some numbers about you know, hey, if only we did this, you know, the Dow Jones could be at twenty thousand dollars. I mean, today the Dow Jones is at almost twenty nine thousand dollars. In 1985, when the play is set. Uh, you know, Kimmy's char- Kimmy Hughley's character, Judy Chen, who is interviewing him, says the Dow Jones closed at thirteen hundred. That's ridiculous. I mean, that that was eighty five. That was what twenty five years ago. Not that long. And now we are at twenty nine thousand dollars almost. Uh, when the play was released in twenty seventeen, and he writes, he says, you know, the Dow Jones could be at twenty thousand. Well, it was, and that was only two years ago. In two years, it's jumped nine thousand dollars almost. And you can argue that that's the sign of a great economy. It's not necessarily. It just means that, you know, greed is winning. Mm-hmm. Money is gone. Like I the, said. Ri- the rich people are making the money yes. for yes. themselves. Sure. Yeah. Merkin's thing is not necessarily just accumulating money for money's sake. He's not exactly putting up our own personal finances into any of these deals. He's doing it just by the access that he has to other people and their mm-hmm. wealth. Yes. So it's not like... He just wants to keep sitting on our own nest egg. He wants the accomplishment of being able to continue building this wealth by his own ability. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not he could easily go in and fund any of these deals himself with if his he own money, to, right? You, but your character says building people in says that him. to him. In fact, you have enough money to create these junk bonds without getting money from these shady characters. 
Oh, right. perhaps I say that. <laughs> other script. Other script. Okay. <laughs> Who, someone says it. Well, I just keep remembering that there's some of the characters just keep saying there's, you've got enough money. I don't, or you, this character has, or my father had enough money and that was enough for him. Why do you still? Uh, why do you that, need, yeah. I do know what scene you're talking about now. That okay. has been cut. Um, oh, it's been cut. Yes, that scene has. So, okay. So I read a copy of it that I think is a little different <laughs> than the one you guys are doing. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. Amy does, you know, mention the fact several times, like, you don't need to take his money, talking about one of the other characters in a side deal that Bob has going. Yes, like, that's what I was referring like to. Like, you don't okay. need oh, it. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. Uh, well, and that's not just, you don't need to take it because we have the money. It's that there is no strategic reason in this deal for this mm-hmm. money to be coming to you. And it's a power play. Yeah, and only exactly. a power and he play. owns up to it. He admits sure. that it's a power play, but she points out to him just as forwardly that, this is what's going to be your downfall. And she's right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I do appreciate um, that Keely was talking about earlier about how Bob is not um, the villain of our play. He's not. It, there really is no hero or villain in this play. It's it's nobody comes out no. unstained. Everyone's and, morally compromised. Yes, everyone. No, Amy looks pretty good by the end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Amy's got her own ambitions, but that's a story <laughs> for another time. Uh, but I do enjoy the fact that Bob, while, you know, you, you think of him as this, you know, rich billionaire and, and and you think about the billionaires of today and it really could be just any, I, I don't know, you, there's, there's a bias with people who have money and where they lean politically, possibly, um, and in this play, one of the beautiful things that Akhtar does is, is Bob doesn't lean that way at all. Uh, he's very much a socialist. And a capitalist, which is incredibly crazy to me. But he he talks about making wealth available to everyone while at the same time taking it all for himself. You know, he he does talk about, uh, you know, racial politics in America. And but then there's also the greed. Uh, He's very he's got a good dichotomy there. of You really don't know where he's going to come down. That's part of what what frightens the old guard, the old establishment. Sure. He is not a part of their team. And he, they can't trust him, and that's p- a lot of why they don't like him more yeah. than I mean. That, that's a it's a whole secondary theme um, that's really important is that old white world, and the new people aren't part of that, and we don't want them to be. Yeah, there's definitely we're the new guys on the block. Yeah, uh, Bob. And you're not playing and by the rules that they want. Raul and Izzy. Yeah, exactly. We don't look like them. We don't sound like them, and we don't play the game like they do. You're not in their country clubs. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's uh, but Octar does a great job of balancing those. You know, is it do they do they not get along here because of racial politics? Do they not get along here because of anti-Semitism? Do they not get along here just because they think a different way? Like, there is no answer. I mean, the, the anti-Semitism and the racism in this world of 1985 is rampant here, but it's also just the fear of the fact that we're, we're playing the game better. It is a game. The, yeah. the finances, it, it is a game. So in a game, there's a loser. And if we're playing the game better, then the old guard will lose. And they're terrified of that. Well, and they do a good job, too, of not just setting them up as the old guard as far as age is concerned, but the difference between old money and new money. Yes, yes. Like, we point out very often how... um, how Milken and I, or Merkin and I, oh goodness, how me and my husband 
There we go. Came up from nothing, and we built everything that we have on our own. I mean, there's an apocryphal story about Merkin at the beginning that he doesn't like necessarily, but it's a demonstration of how hard he worked to get to where we are together, both of us, in our experiences coming up in this world versus the comments that are made about Everson and billionaires like him who have just inherited this money over generations and are just as happy to sit on their leisure yachts and do nothing with their company. But I, I, that's a good point, but I didn't, I didn't look at it that way when I was reading it. I always had more of the affinity for the, for the steel company and I felt like, well, that's a company that was really nothing and was built to something with hard work and workers, like blue-collar workers, and, and so I just sort of had more of a, I felt like those are the people who actually worked. I mean, your characters are so smart, and it's really just playing with numbers and, you know, it, it's privilege. Um, the the Everson story is the classic American story, and, and because the money's old, and again, as much as, hmm, it's interesting because uh, Merkin talks about J.P. Morgan and uh, Carnegie and the old days of what those people built, so they're still held to a higher standard, you know what I mean? Mm. But it's interesting because what Sierra's saying is you do have, we tend to look at the Everson guy as like the American story because his father built this thing and then the town came out of it and then the people and blah, 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 whereas this is not creating jobs or whatever, you know, in, in a classic old school, more romantic American story way. So I think that's why you tend towards. Yeah, but if you look back, I guess you know on the Carnegies and the Chases and all of those people who, quote unquote, built America. I mean, there was no regulation then. They were all oh my gosh, too. yeah. Oh, I mean, they exactly. were like, they were pretty awful. Yeah. Ruthless businessmen. So, yeah. I don't know. I, I I do see where you're coming from about Everson and Everson Steel. It is it, it's what we think of when we think of the American dream. Mm. Right? I was rooting for them. Yeah, hard work will be recognized. Well, I mean, and I, you'll take care of your workers, exactly. and we'll be here forever. Right. And what about uh, my people? And you go, that's what you're rooting for. But sure, sure, because in the American capitalism. dream, all you have to do is work hard and do a good job, and you will be rewarded. Right? I mean, surprise, that's not, not the way the world not, works. Yeah. It never has been, but we deluded ourselves into believing that for decades. Mm-hmm. Well, and the hardworking and, and you know, the good old folk that we think of when we think of Everson Steel is probably very true when we get down to the union worker level. But the people that we're seeing in the course of this play are, are not, not those people. In I mean, he talks at one point lovingly about being in the steel mill, but it's very much from like a spectator's view of it. It was He's already not in established there when he was melting himself. Yeah. yeah. He was a small boy and it was already a big company and right. exactly. very successful. He just inherited it. Yeah. Right. He would just sort of make some comments about how he feels about it. I mean, at least he's well, got he, some sort of maybe Everson, guilt about how he really didn't build the company and maybe he's letting it's it It's really down his dad's company. Yeah. But you and I don't know, it's Everson his identity is tied to what his father built. He has nothing else with Without that, he has nothing, um, and that becomes apparent. Um, he, again, it's sort of like what motivates you. Like we were talking about what what motivates Merkin. Um, the same can be said for um, the Tom Everson character, and it's and it's clear that 
all he has is what his father built and that's all he's known there isn't going to be another new day for for him right it's all about his legacy, legacy right yeah. except and, and and i think the majority of the characters are worried about their legacy um you know, Bob's trying to create his own legacy, whereas Tom Everson is protecting his father's legacy. Mm-hmm. He's, it, it does feel like he's al- he's kind of come to terms with the fact that he's not going to have a legacy of his own. He just doesn't want to screw right. up dad's he's legacy. He's the protector. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, Bob uses to his advantage to, you know, do what he needs to do to create his own legacy. I, I feel like legacy is a very masculine thing. Like, we want to, we want our... I don't know where I'm going with this. No, but it's all very patrilineal. Yeah, it feels I, very I, I, yeah patriarchy. So. Like mm-hmm. we want to yeah. we want to you know sow our seed and pass yeah. our line down and. Well, which is why it's kind of interesting between the version that Jay read and the version that we're putting up. We had a daughter in Jay's version. Yeah. And we have a son, a named yes. son, in the version that we're doing. Which again, yeah. Right. In the exactly version the I read, you just sort of are nursing the. The child and, and it's a little girl, it's a girl. Yeah. but not in the version you're going to see. And just referred to as she, but huh. in our I version, did not realize we specifically that. say Ethan. Yeah, it's very, yeah. very much passing. I, I mean, it is, it, it's, it's a very human moment. One of the few that I think Bob gets. It's very human, you know, him with his wife and his son, and he's clearly very proud that he has a son, and he's very loving to that son, and it doesn't seem to fit with what we've seen thus far in the play right but yeah i mean i get it it's very that's very much about his legacy like ethan our son will continue the legacy uh until it's tainted right possibly maybe who knows come see After a couple, <laughs> yeah, i won't say well, how long you know what happens at the end but it is very uh structured in a way that even if you can't relate to these characters or understand the lingo completely it never sort of got for me got bogged down into things that were complicated. Oh no, it moves very, it very moves quickly. It moves so quickly, and so I and was turning the page quickly, and you know, I, you know, just on the surface, I thought, oh, well, I, I'm not going to be interested in these characters. I just, it's, it's not my life. I don't, I'm not going to be invested in them. But what I did think about it was, it's not, it's not bogged down in character development. So you're not, it's really just the story and these characters. You don't really get a lot of character development. So, but they're entertaining people. Yeah, Watch. it's wonderful, wonderful characters, great acting opportunities. Yeah. Uh, the cast is fantastic. We have a huge yeah. cast. What is there, 19 people in the show, I think? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> really? It's playing, it's more wow. than, playing more than 25 characters. Uh, so cool. lots of fun for them. And, you know, it, it is um, not a one act, So, but it flies along. Flies. So you will not ever be bored and nor will you be um concerned with lingo that you don't get i I think it's very clear as i said earlier you don't get very far from our world today are you gonna do your curtain speech and sort of let people know that yes i think it's important (laughs) that 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 you realize because he has written it in in such a way that um, so I'm going to uh, point this out to you. This the talented Ryan Ehlert will be playing the district attorney in our version. But yes, uh, uh, Rudy Giuliani isn't far <laughs> from the story. Well, topical. We haven't heard from him in a while. <laughs> I wonder when we're what going to again. To oh, yes. don't wonder. Oh, <laughs> I can't wait. Um, I, it is. I do appreciate with junk, though. You talk about the, you know, the the ties to our actual history. 
and the lingo being very dense and you know possibly flying over your heads i i think the the wonderful thing about the story though is whether you know this bit of history and i didn't i didn't at all you know and i was alive when this happened i was young but i was alive but i didn't know this history and i didn't understand a lot of this financial lingo but the story is really it's really about the relationships mm -hmm. between these people very much uh, you know, whether you know that, you know, what a junk bond is junk bond selling at 17 percent quarterly coupon rated triple C, whether you understand what that means or not, you get from that very first scene that he is taking advantage of his friend because it's yeah. in the story, yeah. whether you get the exact words or not, you're going to get the story. And I feel like there's some something in the writing where he'll give you a little bit of an explanation of what the term might mean. Um, without I mean, getting bogged down yeah, into it. Yeah, he, he's the, the exposition is there. So if you're paying attention, you will get okay. what you need to get. But, you know, yeah, he's not he's not overloading any one character with information. We're like, and now we're going to have an exp explanation mm -hmm. of what these terms are. Right, yeah. there's no PowerPoint presentation. No. <laughs> no. And it's really, like it's I said, it's a financial thriller. So it's it. very yeah. fun. And that's what, for me, as soon as I read it, you know, anyth anything we can do where... I'm going to learn more and that I've come away and the characters are great and it's going to be sort of a thrill ride of a show. Um, we've had uh, the early part of the season, we had a lot of sort of female centric. So here we are back to the boys, giving, their, uh, giving the boys yeah. some time on stage. <laughs> so when you were reading the play, did you sort of go, oh, I've got the... Oh, sure. Or, absolutely. Yeah. That's so much fun for me is, yeah. you know, to read it. And it's sort of like we were talking before we got on here, Jay, you know, you do... I had to get the people in my head for the characters to come alive for me off the off the yeah. page because there are so many characters. So as I was reading it, almost immediately I started casting it in my head as far as who who would be yeah. who. Uh, so it's kind of it's always a delight to sort of see your immediate if you're lucky enough to get the actor that immediately popped into your head when you read it uh, to see them actually do the work on stage. So that's that's um, we've got a, just a terrific cast. So I'm. It's funny that you made the comparison to Blood and Gifts because the cast for this one is made up a, it is of a lot, lot of the, of the Blood people. and Gifts cast. It's all of the Blood and Gifts cast is in this show, except for, well, no, I guess like three guys aren't yeah. in this show. So, the, yeah, the majority of the Blood and Gifts cast is in this show plus another ten people. Yeah, right. we, we took Blood and Gifts, and then I said I wanted to be in it, too, this yeah. time. So. <laughs> you weren't in Blood and Gifts, yeah, were you? No. no, no, I wasn't. I loved Blood and Gifts, though. That I was see. another, and, and that was, you know. And that was another play. I was like, oh, I, won't, I don't know if I'll I'm not relate to this. But it, it was well-structured, and so mm -hmm. it keeps you interested. It's, you know, when you're, when you're looking I'm at plays. I'm always surprised when I like something that I didn't think I would. Well, it's hard to get people in the seats because mm -hmm. many people are like you, mm -hmm. saying, well, this isn't something that I necessarily am you know, interested in. So that's always the challenge, right. uh, to continue to do plays that nobody has heard of or that they don't think, you know, hopefully they, most people trust us now to believe that we're not going to give you something you're not going to like it's, a, it's always a challenge it's a, it's a show that you could expect from from you and this company yeah I, it feels very much like a village yeah. rep show mm -hmm. yeah. whatever that means but yes 
Oh, I think uh, yeah, no. I, I think that means that means entertaining. It means well done. It means epic on some level. Even like yeah. small plays are epic in, to their own extent. I mean, yeah. a great yeah, set. Means some nice quality painting. theater. Pads, yeah. Damn yeah. good theater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. And we are trying to keep the shoulder pads to a minimum. We are trying. <laughs> I well, want to see when you come mm. expecting the 1980s. We while well, it is 1985. A year I, you know, I personally love. We've been told not to make the play about the period. Yeah. Uh, so y it's a, a smattering and homage to the 80s without feeling as though you're walking into some, you know, uh, detailed period piece. That's not where we're going with yeah. this. Because we want it to feel contemporary because it is. No, just expect a lot of power ties and suspenders. That's what I'm seeing here. Some pleated pants. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Know it. I wanted to talk about you. your. I don't. I know you guys um, don't like to talk about your personal lives, but I thought it would be interesting oh to talk yeah. about how you oh, guys. Oh, that we're actually partners in real life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, but well, I don't know. If, maybe if you, you want to do a spoiler, secret. we can <laughs> keep that as a secret. Yeah. And it is our first time. Well, we've played husband and wife before, but exes. Ah uh, yes. Oh right. Oh, okay. Yes. But other than that, we've not actually played love interests or opposite each other really. It's because it's completely unbelievable. Oh. No, that's not true. And it's a lot of fun to watch them. I bet. So there's you have to there's a, a sort of a a wall that you don't have to get past. Right. With, I've been lucky enough actors. to perform with Dave several times and it's some of the most fun stuff ever. No matter yeah. what. Whether you're madly in love, which we are almost never madly in love, um, <laughs> or fighting or whatever. So it's fun to get to see these guys, you know, yeah. uh, have that relationship. You know, why not? I'm looking forward to it. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for chatting and have a great rehearsal. The show opens Friday, January 24th. Get your tickets. Get your tickets now. At villagerep.com. Thanks, Jay. Thanks. Bye. Thanks again for listening to Village Idiocy, Conversations from Wolf Street Playhouse. Our producers are Keely Enright and myself. A big thank you to our amazing technical director and editor, Sierra Garland. Our wonderful graphic designer, Nat Jones. You can help us out by subscribing to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you would like to leave us a review, that would really help us out. Thanks for listening.
we, we decided to just do it in the intro because I would always go, oh, we're going to talk about junk. And I'm like, we just did that. Yeah. So we're good. Got it. Yeah. Um, is that it? Yeah. And then you just have to say goodbye. I wanted to talk about you. your, I don't, I know you guys um, don't like to talk about your personal lives, but I thought it would be interesting oh, to talk yeah. about how you oh, guys. Oh, that we're actually partners in real life? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but well, I don't know. If, maybe if you, you want to do a spoiler, secret. we can <laughs> keep that as a secret. Yeah. And it is our first time. Well, we've played husband and wife before, but exes. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, right. No, okay. Yeah. But other than that, we've not actually played love interests or opposite each other, really. It's because it's completely unbelievable. Oh. No, that's not true. <laughs> and it's a lot of fun to watch them. I bet. So there's you have to, there's a, a sort of a, a wall that you don't have to get past. Right. With, I've been lucky enough actors. to perform with Dave several times, and it's some of the most fun stuff ever, no yeah. matter what. Whether you're madly in love, which we are almost never madly in love, um, <laughs> or fighting or whatever. So it's fun to get to see these guys, you know, yeah. uh, have that relationship. You know, why not? I'm looking forward to it. Thanks. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thanks, so, guys. Jay, do you want to give us a thank oh. you, guys, and we'll say bye? Okay. Thank you guys for chatting and have a great rehearsal. The show opens Friday next week. Next week. January 24th. January 24th. Get your tickets. Get your tickets now at villagerep.com. Yep. Thanks. Thanks, Jay. Thanks. Bye. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Oh, let me leave.